Hello and welcome to Series 6 of The Lawyer's Coach. My name is Claire Rayson and each episode of this podcast will feature myself or Oliver Hansard, both of us coaches and former lawyers, trying to find out what makes lawyers tick. In this series, we will be hearing from guests and experts to help us get under the skin of various cultures across the legal industry. At the end of each episode, we will both be reflecting on what they said. The Lawyer's Coach is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. In this episode, Oliver Hansard speaks to Trevor Sterling, who is senior partner at Moore Barlow. They speak about imposter syndrome and confidence, and Trevor speaks about celebrating diversity. They even discuss challenge in the context of mergers. Trevor sets out why he believes culture is the foundation on which everything is built. So we always like to start with um, understanding your motivation to becoming a lawyer. So what, what prompted you to become a lawyer in the first place, Trevor? Well, I was, I was very lucky in many ways because I didn't have a, a great experience at school. I left school when I was uh, 16 or 17 without any real idea as to what I wanted to do. Um, but I received a call from uh, a careers advisor and he invited me in. And he gave me three job options. Uh, the first was a warehouseman. The second was a tennis racket stringer. And the third was an outdoor clerk for a law firm. Uh, and I, I, I went with the third option purely by chance because I wanted to do something which was neither indoors or outdoors. And um, the idea of working for a firm, which meant that I you know, would pop into the office in the morning and then go out and deliver legal papers and things seemed like um, fun. So... Um, that's how I, I entered the, the, the legal profession. But actually, once uh, in the door, I was able to work with you know, some incredible lawyers back then. It was a firm called Rowley, Rowley Ashworth. They were trade union lawyers. And I just felt this real sense of, of one belonging, I guess, but also ambition to do what they did, which was to yeah, help people. Um, and to you know fight for for justice. So that's really what inspired me to to go on and qualify. Amazing. And they, and they helped you through that process, did they, to to get you through to to become a solicitor? They did. I cut my teeth on delivering those legal papers that I referred to. But um, <laughs> very very shortly thereafter, I, I became an assistant and then started doing the legal executive exams when I was about 19. Uh, and that, that really made me passionate. I loved studying law. I would do it in the evenings, you know, correspondence courses, you know, day release, any way I could. I, I just became obsessed with, with the law. And so I qualified as a legal executive, went straight on to do the uh, exemptions to enable me to do the solicitor exams. And by 25, after seven or so solid years of working full-time and studying, I, I qualified as a solicitor and became a partner. Uh, at the age of 28, just three years later. Uh, and that's, if you like, a, a non-traditional route, not having gone to university. Has that been a helpful thing to have come that route or has it counted against you ever, do you think? A, a bit of both, really. I mean, it's, it's helpful in the sense that you're gaining um, practical and vocational experience at the same time as studying. So in some ways, you know, when you're studying law, you're reading black and white, but actually you, if you're living it, it adds colour to what you're studying. So from that point of view, it was really helpful. And also 
it gave me more motivation to to study because I knew what I was going to be doing once I'd qualified. But the downside is that if you haven't been to university, first of all, you've not done a massive exams at any one time, which the Law Society finals required to qualify as a solicitor. So that was all new to me. Um, but also when you're in the profession, you do have this imposter syndrome thing because people around you are academically more qualified. And so it does require a certain growth in terms of confidence. So, you know, a bit of both. But overall, I mean, I'm really proud that that's part of my background to have been a legal executive. And has that imposter syndrome popped out at times or is it something you just managed during your career? Well, I certainly had to manage it carefully. I mean, there's the added dimension. Of course, I'm from an unusual racial uh, profile uh, in, in, in legal terms because I'm... You know, I'm a black lawyer, and certainly when I was starting out, there were very few. So I was always a bit, you know, one of a kind. And back then, it, it, there was more over racism and, and prejudice in society. So I had to battle against that. But equally, you know, that was a fuel for me. It was a fuel for me to prove things to myself, but also prove things more more generally. Um, and so it's, it's been a, a, an interesting journey. The imposter syndrome in me, well, I, I always say that I spent the first half of my career um, really conscious, I guess, of my difference. And I've spent the second half of it celebrating it. Um, so it's something which now with the experience, you know, it, it becomes a lot less. I love that lens. Is that something that you, you think is you've been able to do because of you and you maturing over time? Or is that because of maybe the way um, the legal profession and the working world is, is is matured itself? I think if there's a lesser expectation of you, um, then, then what that does is it, it drives you forwards to try and prove yourself. But I think once you've proven yourself in any particular task, then you're ready for the next task to go and prove yourself and the next task. So, if you look at my career, um, I was always driven to want to be a really good lawyer, to be, you know, a really fair partner because I felt that I was going to be able to bring diversity to the partnership table. But actually, in terms of cases I've run, every one of them has added an additional challenge. I was involved in one of the largest high-profile um, class actions, the Jimmy Savile, um, the Algeria attack, Westminster terror attacks, uh, went to the House of Lords. And one, so I've never seen a challenge as an obstacle which I can't get around because my foundations are built on understanding challenge and, and taking it on and, and having the confidence that if you do that, um, then you can succeed because you've, you're, everything in me is inbuilt to work that bit harder to prove myself. And how about that, that challenge of um, the merger? of Moore Blatch and, and Barlow Robbins. Where, where does that sit in, in, in all the, the various challenges you've had in your career? Well, it was challenging because it, it, there were under, unpredictable elements. We, we were merging uh, and mergers of itself, if you're merging uh, two, two organisations with uh, similar ideologies and, and, and similar uh, skills and discipline, that, that shouldn't be too difficult. Obviously, there are natural challenges that come with mergers. But of course, we were merging at the same time that there was an unprecedented pandemic. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, when you think about that, 
it's not just the challenge in terms of running a business because this was a, an impact across society. So society's behaviours changed in terms of you know, those that might have wanted to merge you know, and instruct our uh, corporate um, division, but of course that the, they wouldn't be doing so in terms of those that might have wanted to move home or they wouldn't wouldn't need property lawyers. So there was a, a major business impact. And of course, you've got the double whammy if you've got that on two businesses you've brought together and you're trying to integrate. So credible challenges, but and at the same time, all of our people, we had to allow them to work from home, you know, trying to transfer the technologies to a home-based proposition. So it was incredibly challenging, but equally, uh, you know, these challenges... Um, this was a challenge which everybody faced and we had to, to get on with it. And the reason why we did get on with it successfully is because we were, you know, well suited to each other. We had the same ideology, same principles and desperately wanted to work together as one team. How about culture? How, what role did culture play in, in that? I suppose, first of all, that selection of one another as, as future partners and then the merger itself. I mean, culture is is the foundations uh, on on which everything is is built. And before the merger happened, we we recognised that we had a shared uh, culture. So um, that that was something which was an attraction uh, and really gave us a, a solid base to 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 get through the crisis, which was the pandemic. The pandemic was unusual, though. Remember, the pandemic is what brought people together, society. And in the workspace, because we all knew that this was an unprecedented challenge, it actually brought us closer together. We, we were you know, very determined to make sure that our people, in particular, were looked after during this period. Uh, and so it was really a moment of, of togetherness, and that, in some ways, um, really you know, put that alongside the practical difficulties that compensated for that because we were doing right by our people. So ironically, it, it actually helped you, you know, pushed you on to, to bind the group together. Yeah, you know, the, the, the thing with um, the pandemic and other situations like that is, is it's, not, it's not what happens at the time because there's a coming together. It's actually what happens after when you get back to business as usual because everybody's exhausted. Um, and so... The reality is it's what we've done since the pandemic, which has really meant that because we had a shared culture, we've been able to, to move forwards with, a, with a, an identified and shared vision for what we want our firm to be in the new world. Um, and, and so that, that's the thing I'm proud of, that all of our people, all of the partnerships, the leadership team were able to get through this really difficult time uh, and afterwards still work towards a shared vision and ambition. And so w w w is there any one thing you might point towards that, that helped you do that in terms of, I don't know, articulating that vision or, or different ways of ensuring you work together? Was there a trick to it? Well, the, the, the trick, I think, is, and, and it's something which should happen with any merger, um, but uh, some might have put it off. We didn't. We started with our project to develop what was going to be our values and behaviours. We called it the Morbalo way. Uh, 
And so we put that, you know, front and centre of our business. So the whole time we were working through um, this pressured environment, it, w- it remained our priority to develop our values and our behaviours. And that's what, at the end of it, we were able to look back and say, we've done this, and now business as usual entails us adopting these shared values and behaviours, and that's something which I'm you know, really proud of. And is that done, or is that an ongoing process? It's never done, um, because you know, identifying values is one thing, Ensuring you have the behaviours that support them is something which, you know, takes takes years. Um, but to the extent that we've identified those values, yeah, it, it's done and um, something which you know, really proud of. And we're seeing it now in the way we think, in the way we operate our business. I mean, so, for example, the values of our business are human first, stronger together, lead the way and make it happen. Uh, and um, that became skeletal to our business. So we put our people first, that's human first. We work together, stronger together through a crisis. That's incredibly important. We lead the way. So that's our ambition, coming out and embracing the future and making it happen is you've got to get it done. You've got to execute. So um, th- those values are really important for us to get through the crisis. And now, like like I said about my career, once you face those challenges, you're not fearful of challenges. And so as a client, would I feel those values when, I, when I'm working with the firm? Oh, absolutely. Um, you've only got to look at my own background, where I've come from, um, and what I've had to do to get where I am. If you've got that breadth of experience, which is why I think diversity in any business is important, then you can understand the people it is that you should be serving. But not just that. You know, I still remain utterly proud and privileged that I am a lawyer. And I recognise that it is a privilege to be in that position. So that's what I bring to my clients, the fact that I recognise I'm in a privileged position to be able to help them. So the fundaments of our business are about caring. And so if you come to our business... I would like to think that you will think that we are untypical to the extent that we truly care and we have that breadth of experience across our partnership and across our business to deliver on that. And an example would be we are the only law firm in the top 100, uh, the only top 100 UK law firm who has a black senior partner. And at the same time, we've got a female chair and we've got a young managing partner. That's diversity for you. So think about how diverse our thinking will be in developing our business and in the execution of our business. So that, that, that's uh, uh, been our ambition and we're delivering on it. And does that play through the rest of the firm in terms of that, that desire to, be, to bring diversity across you know, all, all corners of the business? Well, we're still a new firm. Uh, you know, it's only been... Um, since 2020 and you know one of the things I, I, I mentioned before is that values you can define them but in terms of behaviors that's something which takes time to shape so no it's something which we're still shaping but we're, we're still a work in progress to that to that extent um, and that involves our leadership uh, making sure that we do you know walk the walk I think we've done that by how diverse, you know, the three senior members of our leadership are that I've just referred to, but there's still more to be done. And I think if you, 
ever reach the point where you think you've done it all, then actually that's just complacency. No, we've got we've got we've got more to do, but I'm proud of the steps we've taken so far. So if I'm a young lawyer in the firm, what do you think the skills I'll need to have to succeed at Morbalo? So it, obviously it's the, the, the ability to be able to um, execute law or to learn and then execute law. So we help to develop young lawyers that come in. All we ask for in return is their ambition and their, their industry. Um, but, but above all, I think if you come into our firm with an open mind and an understanding um, that it's the clients that come first and, and our people collectively, and that it's not about your own self-interest in terms of being a lawyer. There's a much bigger picture uh, to being a lawyer. Uh, if that's your understanding, um, then um, you've, you've got a great opportunity at, um, at, at more part. I'm really interested in this this human first value and how it plays out in the business. Does does that mean lawyers have to have a new range of people skills over and above the legal skills that they would have developed in their training? Well, it means that lawyers should be human. <laughs> and that sounds axiomatic. <laughs> I like that one. Very good. Yeah. You know, when I go to see my parents, my parents are part of the Windrush generation. So uh, they've had real struggles and, and they've done incredibly well. And I'm the product of that. But when I go to see my parents, I usually go around and see them on a Sunday. And I have a, a, a really nice cookout with my mum and, my, and my, my dad. And I always say to them, I leave the lawyer at the door. When I go in, I'm just me. Actually, what I've realized now is that when I leave, that's the person that is the lawyer. And I always say to people, you know, you make the lawyer. The lawyer does not make you. That's human first. It's being human, being normal. There's nothing special about lawyers. We are like everybody else. If we start believing there's something different about us, we will start behaving differently. We shouldn't. We just happen to have had the privilege of the knowledge to be able to help people. And that's what we should do. So that's my firm belief. And you can, you know, it wouldn't surprise you given my background because I never thought I could ever be a lawyer. The fact that somebody like me has gone on to become one, I will absolutely not change into anything other than my authentic self. And there's the key. Uh, human first, be your authentic self. Bring the human to work, not what you think a lawyer should be like. And then roll that into your, your client relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, but clients will often say, I like you, you seem normal. <laughs> well, <laughs> or even, well, even though you're a lawyer, you seem normal. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I often reply, well, that's because I am. And that's the thing, you know, law as a profession over the years has kind of uh, separated itself out. Um, and there's a perception of lawyers. Um, you know, there's more for us to do. Um, to make sure that we are not seen as different. And the way to do that is to make sure that we are representative of the people that we, we support and serve. And that's obviously something that you're actively encouraging across the firm. Diversity in terms of uh, people, diversity in terms of thinking, 
uh, and um, execution um, and being representative of those that we uh, act for so that nobody will come to us and feel that we are we don't understand them you know we get it because we are them that that's really important and so yeah but as I say with all these things this is these are um, behaviors that will, will take time to bed in and as a new firm one of the exciting things is that you have that opportunity to to introduce change if you're at a firm which has been around for 20 30 years it's a slower ship to be able to turn a bigger ship to be able to turn for us we have the agility because we're new which is great I mean exciting and there's an acceptance of that novelty and and the the opportunity to change as a as a consequence I would imagine Increasingly so. The more people that behave a certain way, the more that others will will follow suit, and um, and that's something which we are which we are seeing. Which means we have to remember that our values and behaviours are living and breathing. Uh, you don't just roll them out on day one and that's it. You have to keep going with them so they become, you know, the rhythm of the business. Um, and you have to make sure that you call it out when actually uh, that's not happening. Uh, and so that that's our philosophy. There's more to be done. Um, but, uh, you know, I sit here as somebody from an incredibly, as I say, unusual background, an unusual style, but never have I felt more comfortable, which is, um, you know, uh, a, a real kind of uh, it, evidence, really, of the kind of firm that we are. And I get the sense you bring that, that as you describe, novelty in, into your role on a daily basis and use that to empower that change that you're driving. I bring it into how I live my life. You know, I, I also run a charity, Mary Seacole Trust, which is about promoting social equality. I've been involved in, in charities for years. Um, you know, I'm a father and all, all of those things. So it's, 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 these are the things that um, are a product of, of my background and, and upbringing and experiences and what I've learned from my parents from their hard start. Uh, and, you know, all of those things uh, are what makes me myself, my authentic self is what I have to take into work and share my experiences. It will shape other people's uh, experiences. Um, and, you know, that's why I say diversity is really important that we share our experiences. What you get out of that is something which is, you know, quite incredible. It's a rainbow of productivity, and that, that's a, a really nice thing to see. So if you ever, you know, your, your busy working life and, and, and charitable work and, and family life, have you ever stopped to think what, in the end, what success might mean to you and, and, and when you might think that you've achieved that? No. <laughs> Great <Simply> answer. Because, <laughs> simply because uh, whenever I've thought, oh, you know, that, that was a really good thing that I did there, um, you know, would that be the thing that will mark my career? Then actually something else has come along. So when I went to the House of Lords, I never expected the whole Jimmy Savile um, experience. Uh, when I, when, I, when um, we... You know, when I took on certain roles, I didn't expect to ultimately end up the senior partner. I think there's time for that when I finished uh, to look back on my career and say, actually, that was 40 years or so, which I wasn't expecting to have. Um, what's the legacy from that? And that the legacy, I hope, uh, will be that other you know young people like me or, or, or of 
you know, certain certain less socially advantaged backgrounds will think that they can have a career in law because if I did it, um, they will feel that they can do it. And that's why I spend a lot of time in schools, yeah, particularly uh, next month, which is Black History Month. I was at a work fair about three months ago and the, and the diversity of those that came around the table because they didn't expect somebody like me to be sat there as a senior partner of a law firm. So it really is that I'm hoping that I can pull more people through. And I always say you push yourself and then you pull others through. And a great line, which may sound a, a, a little tripe, but it's a line that I often use when I'm talking, is you aspire to climb the ladder, then you be the ladder. Um, and so that that's my simple philosophy on it. There'll be time for me to look back in due course. Hopefully it's a bit of way away, but... <laughs> Um, there'll be time for that. Brilliant. Look, that's a really nice place to end. Um, thank you for your time and, and your thoughts and, and your inspirational stories. Um, Trevor, you've been a fantastic guest. Thanks very much. Uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. So that was Oliver talking to Trevor Sterling. Oliver, what a fascinating guy and a, and a great conversation. No, really enjoyed speaking to Trevor. And he, he was really open and honest about his his journey through the law and the unusual route that he he came through. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think I'm reflecting to other um, professions and often with, you know, graduate recruitment programmes, you're called upon to actually try different parts of the business and to to have a stint on reception or to have a stint on the shop floor if it's, um, you know, one of the retailers. And actually, what a great perspective that he has as senior partner, having been in different roles in the organisation, having having gone up the organisation. And I wonder whether it's not something that other firms should look to embrace a bit more readily. Absolutely. Why not? And then you can really understand how the organisation of a of a legal business truly works. And, and maybe that gives you, you know, makes you better equipped to have those those deep client relationships that lawyers yearn after so much as well. The other thing that struck me um, was this idea of culture being the foundation on which everything is built. And, and again, I think, you know, in the context of, of M&A, I started life as an, as an M&A lawyer. I think this this point around culture is often overlooked, but it's, it's often the thing that makes or breaks um, a merger. Um, and it was really interesting that that Trevor kind of shone a light on that and, and spoke about it. Absolutely. And, and, and he underscored that human first absolute that, that more Barlow are, are keen to embed into the whole organisation, you know, to, to really make sure that they look after their people, because if their people aren't properly looked after, then it's really hard for them to look after their clients. So I thought that emphasis was fascinating and be great maybe to get him back to see how that that journey goes and and, and how they embed that over time as as the uh, the merger really takes hold as well. Absolutely. Oliver, thank you so much for talking to Trevor and thank you for listening. Next episode, I'm going to be joined by Elizabeth Rimmer. Elizabeth is CEO at Lawcare. Elizabeth is going to be speaking to me about the impact that legal culture has on mental health in the profession. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Lawyers Coach is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. 
If you're enjoying this series, please rate us on your podcast provider so that others can find us. If you're a lawyer and would like to take part in Lawyers Coach, please visit our website, lawyercoach.co.uk, for further details. And you can also join the conversation on our LinkedIn group, Lawyers Coach. If there are any topics you'd like to hear us discuss, then just get in touch. 